I don't know. I'm going to do something a little different. I, uh, the title is just a little bit different, but I, I have felt this probably for well over two months in my heart, and I never really worked on it. And uh, I probably will not do it the justice that it deserves tonight because I, I, a lot of times when a minister feels something and feels an anointing, uh, it takes time to work it out in his heart. It's more than just something can be done in a week or two. Sometimes it takes months to be able to really correctly do it the way that it should be done. But I'm going to do my best tonight, and I, I'm simply going to title this The Moth and the Star. And I want you... Uh, Normally I talk a little bit before I read Scripture, but I'm going to read Scripture first. And um, I want you to turn with me, if you would. I know it will be on the PowerPoint. But Psalm 42, Psalm 42, and verses, um, well, I'll just about turn to Job 42, can't see. 42 and just verses 1 through 8. Familiar portion of Scripture, um, one that you you read a lot when you really have a desire in your heart for God. And you look at the psalmist here and how he desired God. And it, it should be something that transmits from the pages to your own heart. And I hope it does tonight. As a heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually, continually say unto me, Where is thy God? Um, that's familiar as well. Sometimes when you cry and you pray and you desire something from God, there's a great need that you may have. And people look at you and say, well, if God is so gracious and so good, why isn't he answering your prayer? That's what the psalmist was saying right here. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise and with the multitude that kept holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of, the, of Hermonites and from the hill of Mizar. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night. His song shall be with me and my prayer unto the God of my life. Close your eyes and let's look to the Lord one more time. Father, somehow open our minds and our hearts together. Blend Jesus this evening so that somehow all this can come in and we can have some understanding. I need you. I can do nothing without you. And I pray here this evening that you would move greatly upon us. Strengthen us. Be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to the person behind you. Tell them they're really nice looking. And you may be seated.
Why is it? Why? Yeah. I needed a little extra time to get a drink of water, and I knew that would do it. All you have to do is say something about people being good looking, and that gets everybody talking. An English poet by the name of Percy Shelley, he wrote from 1792 to 1822. And uh, he, he made this statement. He saw the moth's desire for the star. And he saw this as a, as a powerful symbol of the heart's desire for something that was distant yet compelling. A means of sustaining hope for the future and distracting us from our present sorrow. It is an image which can help us receive some meaning. And that's how he actually put it. I don't think that any of us would uh, disagree with the statement I'm about to make because we desire truth. And, and you see that desire in a young person, middle-aged person, older person. And, and it, it doesn't matter who they are. It, it, you see people and they, they kind of flitter like the moth from uh, one artificial light to the other. While the star is stationary, it's beckoning and it's permanent. The star is there. It's always going to be there. And these people, they just go from one artificial to the other, and they, they try to come up with, with some, uh, or if you would, with their own version of truth. You know, some today would dispute that we are free to make any choices that we want. Nietzsche said that there are no facts, only interpretations. And if you begin to speak in absolute terms, you begin to have people look at you a little strange. You'll be ridiculed. And if you, if you believe in no absolutes, then you give rise to the Hitlers and the Stalins and the death camps. If everything is relative, then everything is okay. So we give rise to that. I, I, I want you to follow me closely to... Let me say this correctly. To relativize the absolute is merely to absolutize the relative. In other words, anything and everything is okay. Totalitarianism can only arise with the overthrow of its final and greatest opponent. The only way that the Hitlers, the Stalins, whatever you have today uh, in third world countries, the only way they can truly arise is for the greatest opponent to be overthrown, and that is a God who takes away the rule of humanity and holds it accountable for its actions. Are you hearing me? It is a God, the God that we know, that takes away all our abilities to make the decisions of right and wrong. There has to be an absolute. And the only one that can be absolute is the one true God of heaven. And we know His name is Jesus. 
Aren't you glad you know Him? Aren't you glad that tonight that you were able to worship Him? Aren't you glad that He touched you this evening? Aren't you the glad the one who can make an absolute, not just relative according to what we want to believe, but according to what He is? You know what's interesting? God holds us accountable for our actions. Every action that we do, God will hold us accountable. There's no relativism. There are absolutes, and they are God's absolutes. Even scientists have never taken the relativist outlook. Scientists want to investigate the natural world as as much as possible and confirm their beliefs or our beliefs, if you would, with rigorous testing. Just to give you an example, the chemical composition of water is H2O. Now, how do we know this? And we know this by a series of experiments which have repeatedly demonstrated that a molecule of water consists of two hydrogen atoms and one oxygen atom. It does not matter whether these experiments are carried out by women or by men or by Anglo-Saxons or by Asians or by African-Americans. The chemical composition of water is independent of gender and of race and of social status of the investigators. It doesn't matter. Now, this poses something of a problem to those who insist that all views are equally valid. The critic of the traditional view might argue that it rests upon an obsession with oppression and domination. Hydrogen has two. Oxygen only has one. It's not fair. So the only right thing to do is to take two hydrogen atoms and two oxygen atoms so we can have equality. You can do that, and it creates hydrogen peroxide. And it's caustic. And you can dye your hair with it. And in fact, you can bleach skulls with it. I use it for bleaching skulls. Not human skulls for you visiting people. I don't want anybody to, to think that I'm into bleaching human skulls. Other skulls, yeah, but not, not human skulls. So, you know, you stop and think about it, but people feel this. Now, maybe that was an extreme view. You can't change the makeup of water. God made it that way at the beginning. That's the makeup of water. And no matter how much we resist that, how much we think it's unfair, it's not going to change it. And and it it, it falls that way in whatever area you want to look into. And I I want to hope that this is such a a bizarre and a brainless idea that nobody's going to be tempted to agree with it. You know, we can't just change water, and I I hope you understand that. I, I hope you don't try because you'll have a problem with it. But the... Proposal founders utterly on the uh, proposal rather founders utterly on the rock of empirical investigation, and although the idea might appeal to those who believe that the world ought to be constructed according to their personal beliefs and values, the reality is that the world feels no particular reason to conform to those. It possesses its own structure and rationality. God made it that way. God made it that way. So no matter how unfair you may think it may be, well, God is unfair in what He expects out of me. God is unfair in what He expects me to do in order to be saved. God made it that way. You're not going to change this anymore. You're going to change the composition of water. 
The natural world will stay the same the way that God made it in spite of us trying to impose our own prejudice upon it. If there are no absolutes, then consider the person in the late 19th century India that passionately believed the widow should be burned alive on her late husband's funeral pyre. Now, if this is relative, then it's just fine. We see the poor Indian woman, her, her husband has just died, and she says, I want to throw myself on the funeral pyre. Well, that's okay, honey. You go right ahead and do that. I think it's only right that you should be able to do whatever you feel like doing. You understand, there has to be absolutes, but they have to be God's absolutes. People are not capable of governing themselves. That's why the Bible says that the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. At the end of that, come on, there shall be no end to his government. You know, we can't leave some of these things unchallenged. The wisdom of our age seems to be that you can think what you want, believe what you want without any consequences, and there will be consequences. There are people out there today, used to be more popular than to now, but they, but now than, but they still do it. And they take these little crystals made in the shape of a pyramid, and they put them all over their house in order to channel positive energy. I get positive energy when I come in here and get wild and crazy in the Holy Ghost. Come on now. You know, I don't run the house, dance, jump, and do all these things just because I look good, because I know I don't. I do it because I'm loving the one who has given me the absolute. I know what I need to do. I praise God because I love God. I love God and I'm going to praise God. I praise God and I love Him. And it continues. I worship Him because He desires and loves the worship that I give to Him. So needless to say, after a few hundred of the little crystal pyramids are placed in your house, you find out it does not cause positive energy. In fact, you lift them up and you have to dust the little nasty things. Before long, you realize the only thing they're good for is a good weight to put on your line when you go catfishing. And you bring positive energy to the fish on your line. <laughs> you know, it comes down to this. We have to have hope. We have to have hope. When pre Peter preached the first message of the fledgling church, before he answered the question that all ask, men and brethren, what shall we do? He said these words in Acts 2.26, Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad, and moreover also my flesh should rest in hope. People do all of these strange things because they're looking for hope. They want something good in their lives, whether it be a crystal with positive energy I, I, or whether it takes the, the widow being thrown on the pyre of the husband in order for him to make it to heaven or whether a Muslim straps on a, a, a vest with bombs on it so they can have jihad and go to heaven with 70 virgins. It's all for hope where we as God's people 
really God's people? And don't you doubt that, ever doubt that. I said it this morning. I preached about the new birth experience. When I had this new birth experience, it made me a new creature. Old things were passed away. Behold, all things become new. We are God's people. And I want you to know that every day I go that I've got a hope of making it to heaven. When I get out of bed in the morning, I know I've got a hope. When I go to bed at night, I know I have a hope. I have to live in hope. When Peter preached in Acts 22, 16, he spoke of hope, but he went on and he explained how in verse 38 that hope could see realization. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He said, what was he saying? He said, I'm telling you how to realize the hope that Jesus gave us through the crucifixion and the resurrection. What he gave us was an absolute. Peter gave us an absolute when he preached the second chapter of the book of Acts. He gave it to us. To have no hope in life is a, is a terrible thing. To build that life on a false hope is still worse. There's so many people trying to build on false hope. A day of reckoning will come when all the illusions will be stripped away. All the false hopes that people have will be stripped away. And we need to build our lives upon belief that, that may be relied upon instead of something that is superficially attractive yet fundamentally flawed. Too many people are into the superficial. Too much false, too much Botox. I'm going to preach on a Botox religion one of these days. A little injection here and a little injection there, and you're going to look like you're just fine. Isn't that what it is when people shoot up heroin? It's their own kind of Botox religion. Everything's fine. I feel fine for just a short time. Superficial. Just for now, just for today, just for the next hour or so. Listen, friend, I'm talking about something here tonight that's going to last you more than an hour. I'm talking about something tonight that's going to take you all the way through eternity. I'm talking about something tonight that is real. Come on, when last I heard of Pentecost, come on, when last I heard, it's still real. It's still real and it's still right. Like the butterfly, people fly from one flower to the other, never settling down. Or like the moth. No one has been able to pinpoint why a moth is drawn to a light. Even scientists have not been able to do that. All we can do is really just guess why. Yet despite of all of our theories and all of our guesses, the fact remains that moths are drawn to light. They have an innate tendency to be attracted to a source of illumination. The moth was always drawn to the star until artificial light came onto the scene. 
The moth then found itself in somewhat of a dilemma or a difficulty, if you would. Because the candle that was lit at night attracts the moth, who will soon find itself on fire. The floodlight will attract the moth, who's going to find itself vaporized on contact. The initial longing for the moth was the star. That's where it all began. It was the star. And just like you and I, there's a deep sense of yearning for something that really satisfies. Something that will make a change in us. Something that will turn us around. A longing for God. A, a longing that we are meant to experience. A longing that is, that is meant to lead. To lead us to a true source of light. Which is Jesus Christ himself. But somehow this, this longing is accidentally become attached to lesser goals within this world. This guest, I guess, for less will wind up breaking your heart. This quest, rather, I said guest, this quest for less will, will break your heart. When you begin to, to look for something here that satisfies, you find yourself like the moth and you look for that source of illumination, that star that used to be so permanent, so much there, but yet it seems so unattainable. And so you, you look for the thing that is right there in front of you and you wind up getting involved in a candle that sets yourself on fire. A floodlight that vaporizes you. This is what happens when we settle for something less, the quest for less, if you would. Sometimes when you look at the star, it does seem so far away. And I don't know about you. I'm one of those people that likes to look up and wonder. I look at the stars, and I'm not really crazy about going standing on a star. I'd like to know what's on the other side. I believe that that's where God is. Whether I'm right or wrong, it doesn't matter. My own, my own opinion, the Bible says that the heavens were like a curtain, that somehow that he's just going to rip that curtain back one day, and there it's going to be. And you see, as long as I can see that star, it keeps me thinking what's on the other side. But when that bright illumination close by begins to pull me to it, then I find myself being hurt. And not just hurting me, but hurting others. Don't settle for less. The star is attainable. It is attainable. You'll find yourself when you desire less, you not only break your heart because it's going to fail to deliver what we anticipate. Everything you hope for in this life has let you down. Are you hearing me? Everything that you've ever hoped for has let you down. You've gone from one thing to the other. The very thing that has consumed you has become... Nothing but an image, or a false image, if you would, of what you really would like to attain. I don't always blame and get upset with people when they fall for some of the glamour that's here on earth. I look at it in the sense of they are trying to replace what they can't grasp with an image of something that is less. 
That's why you see the Christian at the bar getting drunk and talking about God. And that happens more than you know. Because they they want to gain that star. They want to grasp it. But the image of the light in the bar is just drawing them now. But they can't quite get it off their mind. You give me the one single person that is still out there stargazing to the one who's in the bright lights any day of the week. Because that's the person that's going to lead you somewhere. It's not the person that gives in to every image. It's the person who's still standing out there saying there's something else. There's something else. There's something greater. And whether and who you are, because I, I, you know, there, there are people, here's a lot of people here this evening, and there are some of you that have got a relationship with God, but it's not a complete relationship yet. And you've kind of given in to the bright lights of the here and now rather than to look beyond. There's something deep inside of you that still needs to be fulfilled. You're just not sure what it is. But Jesus is here tonight to take you to the star. Jesus is here tonight to fulfill that greatest desire that you have. That's what he wants to do. That's his desire. And unlike the moth who desires a star, but the star is not attainable, we can get something. We can go further. We can get that which, is, that which we want. We can attain that which seems unattainable. I can have the thing that I desire the most through the power of the Holy Ghost, through the power that God has invested in me. I can attain that higher height. I can get to the depths. I can get to the heights. It is attainable. And it starts right here, right now. It begins with a step of faith. You don't act on what the mind is telling you. You act on what the heart is saying tonight. Pascal said, the heart has its reasons which the mind does not know about. There's something inside of each and every one of us. Every person that's ever made, ever made a start with God did not do it through the head. They didn't do it through the mind. It was the heart that was drawn by God that brought them to an altar. The mind doesn't always understand, but when you act on the heart, the mind will soon catch up. Fourteen centuries, as the music begins, fourteen centuries before Christ, Israel left their bondage in Egypt behind. But what laid ahead? That was the question. Exodus 3.8 says that there was a land flowing with milk and honey. Ahead of the wilderness, which they were now entering, there was a land flowing with milk and honey. That didn't help them in the 40 years that they spent walking from one end of the wilderness of sin to the other. They had to continue to walk. But on the other side, there was a land flowing with milk and honey. Not one of the Israelites had seen this land. Not one. Moses had not seen this land. No one had. There was no way of confirming that it existed or verifying that it was even fertile 
The decision to go onward rested simply on trust. That's what it rested on. Was there a promised land? Did it exist? Or was it just a dream of a people without a land and hence without hope? It was only after they crossed over the Jordan that their doubts were resolved. There is a yearning, folks. Please hear me as you stand with me. There is a yearning in every heart like the moth for the star. A yearning for an absolute truth. And it can only be found in Jesus Christ. Please, don't settle for poorly made images of the real. Don't settle for anything else but the star. Because only in the star are you going to fulfill your hope. But I had time tonight, and I didn't do it. I was going to ask the PowerPoint people to find me a star to put up. And I was going to turn the lights off. And I was going to let you just look up there for a moment, and I wanted you to try to, to bring everything together in your own mind and in your heart. Are you still yearning? Are you still desiring something more? Or have you settled for less? Are you coming to church just now out of a sense of duty? Or do you still have a desire to go beyond? Is there still something on the other side of that star? How do you feel this evening? How do you feel? Do you still have that desire? Is it still hunger? Is it still something that that paws at you, that, that, that pulls you, and that God can speak into your heart and is still just as real tonight as it was when you received the Holy Ghost ten years ago? Is it still just as real as when you received the Holy Ghost twenty years ago? Whatever it may have been for you, your relationship with God when it began. Is that yearning still there? Or is it just something you do because mom and dad wanted you to do it? Is that something that you desire? Do you want to go beyond? Do you want to see beyond the stars? Do you want Jesus to reach down and to bring you into a place of relationship with Him that you really need? Do you, do you, do you still want that? And if you're here tonight and you've never experienced the wonderful new birth, is there a longing inside of you? You see, the new birth brings you close. It doesn't get you to heaven. It gets you into the kingdom. And there's a closeness that you feel. And sometimes when you first receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you, it's like the stars right there, and you can just reach out and grasp it. And you just feel like any moment that Jesus is going to open the gates and you're going to be there with Him. It's a wonderful feeling. Please don't ever lose that. And I can say this with all sincerity in my heart. I still very real to me still very real I still feel like that he could come any second and I want to be ready I, I want the yearning and the desire I want to be as the heart that panteth after the water broke I want that desire to be that real this altar is open for you this altar is open for people who are still looking at stars still desiring stars still want to go beyond, still hunger for it, still desire it, still long for it, still want it to be a part of the life above everything else. I, I can't stand anything else. I've got I to gotta have it. i got to have this. God has put this in me. This is a longing for Him. 
hearts is a longing for Him. Oh, let that longing come out this evening. Bring it all very, very close. Bring it all very, very close. Bring it all very, very close. Lord bless you. Come down and pray with those that are praying. And if you must go, please. And if you must talk, please. Go out in the vestibule to talk if you would so there's not a lot of disturbance. Lord bless you.